0: My trees were filled with these dead, these dead shriveled leaves, and it wasn't pretty. And then in the winter, my trees, they were barren, they were fruitless, they, they were devoid of any outward signs of life whatsoever. And, but in the past few weeks, it's, it's been this excitement building as I see these, these green leaves just shooting out, pushing out of the, of the branches, these new bright green growth in every branch. And I was thinking that the, the trees, is kind of like us, it's... The new life that we have, it results in growth. But yet, those shriveled, dry, dead leaves, we were so full of those dead leaves, so full of sin, and yet when we die with Christ, when we counted ourselves as dead to sin and alive to Him, our, sin, our sins were all removed. And he, He's given us new life. He's made us brand new. He's pushed out life where there was not life before. And, and one of the signs of new life that we have in Jesus, it's... It's new growth, like the leaves in the backyard. It's new growth that just pushes out. It's a work that God does. It's a work that's only possible because of God. Because He removes the, those dead leaves, the sin from us. And gives us new life. And this morning, we're going to be taking a break from going through books of the Bible for a few weeks together. And we're going to be beginning a series. And the series is going to be entitled, Living at Peace Together living at peace together as disciples in community. We need to learn how to live at peace together because we're disciples in community. If you are living around anybody for any period of time, you know that you need to learn how to live at peace. The reason we're focusing on this is because one of the most evident fruits, one of those first fruits really of being a disciple of Jesus is that it changes how we relate to other people. It's meant to change how we relate to other people. As we begin, the only reason we can speak of this kind of change and pursuing growth is that God has taken away our sins. And He's given us new life and He's enabled us to grow in Him. So let's, with that in mind, turn to Matthew 18. If you don't have a Bible, if you look on with somebody beside you, if you see somebody beside you who is too embarrassed to ask, say, hey, would you like to share? And read from Matthew 18 in verses 21 through 35. This is God's Word. talents, and since he could not pay his master ordered that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when the same servant... until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servant saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went, and they reported to the master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant, as I had mercy on you. And in his anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank You for Your Word that exposes us, that that cuts to our hearts. Thank You for Your healing Word that helps us, that enables us to change and grow. God, thank You that You are the great King of all. And that You mercifully forgive all those who plead with You. God, thank you though that you also enable us to bear fruits, bear fruits in response to your forgiveness. Father, I pray that you would enable us to respond this morning to your word, and that you would enable us to to learn how to live at peace together as disciples, living in community together. We pray these things in your name, amen. Well, our passage starts off with Peter. Peter. I love Peter. I'm so often encouraged by Peter. I'm encouraged by Peter because he messes up. I'm encouraged by Peter because he's, he's blunt. He just speaks what he, he thinks. I'm encouraged by Peter because he's sinful and yet the Lord is patient with him. I'm encouraged by Peter because he asked the questions that so many of us would ask if we were in his shoes our passage starts with it says then Peter came up and said to him Lord how often will my brother sin against me you can almost hear a bit of a tone Peter is he's listening to what Jesus had just been saying and he's he's thinking hang on Jesus has just been talking about forgiveness he's just been talking about go to your brother and if you see your brother sin against you confront them tell him the sins and if your brother responds he says you've won your brother and then he says, if he doesn't respond, take one or two others. And then if he still doesn't respond, tell it to the church. And goes on from there. I'm encouraged by Peter's question for a few reasons. I can, I can resonate with Peter's question. I hope you can resonate with Peter's question this morning as well. And one of the things I was encouraged by, might might seem funny, is I was encouraged that Peter, the, the chief of the apostles, really, he, he was... He was weighed down by self-concern and sin. He was thinking about how often do I have to forgive these guys? He's probably thinking about James and John. He's probably annoyed. (laughs) I'm encouraged by that. I'm encouraged because I can identify with Peter. Rivalry, self-concern, sin, they naturally occur in any group of disciples living together in community. That should be encouraging. You shouldn't be shocked by that. Just the fact that, hey, Peter, this was very early on as the community is just forming as Jesus is just making his church, his bride, and, and Peter comes and he says, hey, hang on, I'm struggling here. How many times do I have to forgive my brother for the same thing? Seven times? That's a lot. Jesus, that's a whole lot. I'm encouraged as well because we all sin. We we're all, we're all kind of feel like Peter at times, don't we? How many times do I have to forgive my spouse, my friend, my bonehead in in care group, my small group leader? How many times do I forgive my parents, my kids? Whatever you're thinking, my classmates, how many times? The other reason I'm encouraged is because forgiving people is hard and that's evident from the fact that Peter's coming and he's bothered. He's bothered because forgiveness is a hard concept. It's a hard thing. I'm encouraged by that. We're meant to be encouraged, just knowing that. Look, this is not an easy thing. No, even the people who are with Jesus struggled and wrestled with these things. It's encouraging to me. I'm encouraged that it's expected that people in the, in this church, somebody beside you, will probably sin against you. It's not okay to sin, but I'm encouraged because it shouldn't shock us. It's to be expected. It's also expected. People in the church will need to be confronted and those offended will need to forgive I'm encouraged by Peter struggling because it's hard to forgive if we're honest with ourselves it's not an easy thing it's sometimes easier to go and confront somebody and tell them why they're sitting and bothering us or annoying us or we think they're sinning than it is to really let it go when they ask forgiveness and really forgive them all of us from time to time I feel like something must be wrong because I feel like people are sinning against me. Be encouraged that that, that there's there's not a sign necessarily that something unusual is happening. It's a sign that sin remains. People sin against you. They will. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. It's normal. Jesus isn't shocked. I'm like, Peter, how could you ask that question? What in the world's going on? Peter, you know, when I talked about forgiving, I did not think anyone would struggle. He didn't say that. He says, no, Peter, let me tell you though. And then he says, it's not seven times, but 70 times seven. And I'm, it's difficult to forgive. And Peter is wrestling with, how do I forgive? I'm guessing that everyone in this room at some point, maybe today, maybe this week, this month, this year, in the future, tomorrow you will struggle at some point with forgiveness. You'll struggle at some point with wanting to forgive. With feeling like it's okay to forgive somebody. Feeling like you want to make somebody pay. Like you want vengeance. You, it's not right that they've sinned against me. I'm encouraged that the struggle is normal. And Jesus has help for each and every one of us this morning. Jesus wasn't shocked by sin. He wasn't shocked there'd be a need for forgiveness. He wasn't shocked by Peter's question and there's hope in these verses there's hope for Peter there's hope for the disciples there's hope for you and me that we can actually respond in forgiveness and Jesus gives us really the, the most basic foundation the basic means for how can we respond and forgive and Jesus helps us at the fundamental seat and root of who we are this point in Matthew's gospel Jesus has just finished talking about if your brother sins against you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Then he gives them directions about what to do if somebody doesn't repent. For us in the church today, we can often read the first part of Matthew 18. And we can either be scared of it. Because, oh my gosh, what if somebody tells my sins to the whole church? But that's not really what the intent of that is. The intent is restoration to God and to the community. Or we can be we can say, well... How does this church do that? And we want to make sure, and we have to figure out exact rules, and so we get hung up on, on the whole. How do we tell? It to, how do we bring one or two others? And how do we tell it to the church? And what does it look like? And it can be scary, and and yet Peter he didn't react to that portion of Jesus' teaching, did he? He reacted to the first part, the part that I think we actually struggle with more, if we're honest. The part that Peter struggled with more, and it's hang on, Jesus. You said if I tell my brother his sin and he actually responds, I've got to forgive him. I and mean, then what if he does this a lot? What if he keeps doing the same stupid thing to me? What if James keeps being an idiot and says, who's the greatest in the kingdom? Like he opened up the passage in Matthew 18. That's why Jesus started that. Peter is listening closely. And when Jesus says, if, you, if your brother listens to you, you've gained your brother, Peter realizes the implications of this. And he realizes this will be painful there is a cost to forgiveness he didn't seem to be hung up on what do I do if somebody doesn't respond he was stuck on this is difficult if somebody does respond this is difficult if somebody does respond because it requires a cost forgiveness is not easy it's not cheap it's not free we receive forgiveness from Jesus As free, but it had a cost. When we have to forgive other people, there's always a cost involved. Maybe some part of us wants to make people pay, wants to make people hurt like they've hurt us. Maybe some part of us wants vengeance. You see, sin, it's messy, and relationships are messy, and life together as disciples in the church, it's messy. But Jesus has hope for us. And it's not found in our own ability. It's found in in seeing God's forgiveness of us. If you're around Christians long enough, you're going to sin. You're going to sin against each other. If you go to any church, you're going to find out it's a messed up church. Because it's full of messed up people like you and me. And if you go to another church and it's a perfect church, like, like Spurgeon said, if I found a perfect church and I joined it, then it would no longer be a perfect church because, because I had joined it. How do we respond? How do you and I respond when other people sin against us? How do you respond when your kids sin against you, when your spouse sins against you, when your friend sins against you, when your coworkers, your classmates, whoever you're thinking of, how do you respond when people continue to sin against you? You see, how we respond. This passage is critical because how you and I respond, how we respond to others in whether we forgive them or not, says everything about whether we understand God's forgiveness of us. Did you get that? According to Jesus, according to Jesus, whether we forgive others and how we forgive others, it's evidence of whether or not we've been truly born again And it's evidence of whether we really get that God's forgiven us. How we forgive others is a sign of whether we really understand God's forgiveness for us or not. Let's put it another way. Really, the the main idea I want for us to get this morning from this passage, the main idea that, that God would have for our church this morning to get, it's really simple. It's just that understanding the Father's forgiveness. Understanding the Father's forgiveness... Forgiven sinners forgive sinners. Understanding the Father's forgiveness. Forgiven sinners? What do they do? What does it look like to be a forgiven sinner? Looks like to be somebody who forgives sinners. The whole point of the parable is really just to show that if we really understand the Father's forgiveness, then as forgiven sinners we're going to forgive sinners. As people who are in need of God's mercy and people who are in need of God's pity and in need of God's grace, we too will forgive others and give them God's grace and forgiveness. Peter's listening closely. He knows this is a difficult thing and he's wrestling with okay, Jesus, I heard you, but what are the limits? What are the limits? See, his question is based on that. It's not just, okay, Jesus, I like, get that we have to forgive people. You know, the rabbis taught us that. The rabbis taught us actually that if we, we can forgive up to three times. You see, before you go and judge Peter, by the way, and think that Peter's being stingy with his forgiveness, he's actually being very generous with his forgiveness. And that day, that culture, the teaching of the, the Jewish rabbis, it would have been that you go and you forgive somebody three times for the same thing. And then after that, they're done. That would have been the teaching of that day. So Peter's actually thinking he's being magnanimous. He's thinking, I'm being very generous, and he's thinking, I'm going to go to Jesus, and Jesus is going to be really impressed because I'm going to go and say, How many times? Because he's really struggling, but he's going to kind of hide it. Seven times, Jesus? Should I be so generous as seven times? See, he's asking, what are the limits of forgiveness? Maybe you wrestle with that same question. What are the limits of forgiveness? How many times? Maybe you find yourself asking, how many times do I have to forgive my brother for the same thing? Do I just keep forgiving? At what point is it too much? At what point do I say, stop, I'll forgive you no longer, no matter how much you plead with me? And maybe you're wrestling, is there there a point when it's okay to not forgive? The reason why God's given us this interchange in Scripture, is that These are all important questions for us to answer. These are important questions for us to wrestle with, to grapple with, to personalize, to internalize, to say, I want to understand. I want to respond in a way that honors and loves God in light of how I've been forgiven. I want to understand the Father's forgiveness of me. Jesus said to him, look in verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times 7, or maybe reading the NIV or different versions, of 77 times. The point here is Jesus is not talking about do the math, Peter. What he's saying is forgive as many times as is necessary. His point is not to give Peter a checklist and say, okay, Peter, take along with you a piece of paper or a papyrus or whatever they had back then and say, okay, so when James and John, <laughs> when they're jerks to you, okay, that's one, same thing, twice, same thing, three, four, five. Okay, 77, you're done. That, that wasn't the point of what Jesus was saying here. What he was saying is that uh, he was using hyperbole to say as many times as is necessary, Peter. And by the way, how do we know that? We know that from the context of the parable and from Jesus' response that it, it's like this, Peter. And then he launches his end to this, this servant. He says, God has forgiven you. This king has forgiven an unlimited amount of sin. And he gives this comparison of the unlimited forgiveness of the king with the wicked servant who does not forgive. What he's telling Peter and all of the disciples is to forgive like the king and not like the wicked servant. Forgive as many times as is necessary. I'm going to share with you a quote. We don't have it on the overhead, so I'll just have to read it to you slowly. It's a guy named R.T. France writing on a commentary on this book. He says, The opening exhortation to forgive... Without limit, it's undergirded by a parable which compares God's forgiveness and ours. It's because there is no limit. There is no limit to God's generosity. Because there's no limit to God's generosity to His undeserving people. You and I are those undeserving people. There's no limit to God's generosity to undeserving people. Because of this, they in turn cannot claim the right to withhold forgiveness to their fellow disciples. If you've received undeserving forgiveness from God, and by the way, any forgiveness from God is is undeserving, you cannot claim the right to withhold forgiveness from your fellow disciple. He says, a community of the forgiven, I love this line, it's worth writing down, a community of the forgiven must be a forgiving community. A, for, a community of the forgiven must be a forgiving community. So Peter tells Jesus and disciples a parable, and he tells them the kingdom of heaven it can be compared to a king who goes out to settle accounts with his servants, it says in verse twenty three, therefore the kingdom of heaven be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts. This king he has servants, he was sovereign over them, he was over all of his servants equal, he had equal right over his servants. In the passage, it mentions servants four times. And actually, the better translation of that word really is slave or bondservant. We have a softening in the ESV. I'm not exactly sure why they chose to, to soften it and make it the word servant. But it really is, is slave or bondservant. Somebody who's been bought with a price. Somebody who belongs to someone else. And if, if you find yourself as a Christian or call yourself a Christian, that means you've been bought by the blood of Christ. You belong to someone else. God has a right over you. So this king has a right over his servants, and we can see how does this king handle his authority with his servants? Is he unjust? Is he unkind? Is he unmerciful? What is this king who's compared to the kingdom of heaven? What is this king who is like God? What is this king like? How does he handle his justice? And we can see that this king he's extremely merciful. Look in verse 24. It says, When he began to settle, one was brought to him and owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold. And before you react to that, remember, he was already property. When he settled account, one was brought to him and owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. And, If you're going to understand the gravity of this man's situation, you need to know that a talent was no small amount of money. A talent was somewhere close to 20 years worth of wages. A talent was the the, the largest monetary figure that they used in that culture in that day. It was the largest term for a unit of money. It was a talent. 20 years wages. And so Jesus uses the largest term, 20 years wages, a talent... And then he multiplies that times the, the biggest number in Greek in that day, which was 10,000. That was the largest number they had a word for. And so he says 20 years times 10,000. The most times the most is what this guy owed. It's an amount no person could ever possibly repay. And he was telling this, this, this parable. He meant to say that no one could ever Hope to repay this debt in thousands of lifetimes. I, I try to do the math now. It can hang you up, but I'm saying, well, if a town is that much and somebody made $53,000 a year, then that'd be 164,000 years worth of wages at $53,000 a year. That's, that's a st- an astounding number, right? So, so put the math out of your head for a second, but get this. They, they were Jesus was trying to communicate this is an unpayable debt far greater than you can ever, ever, ever imagine, and no one. No matter who you are, if you're Carlos, whatever the guy's name is in Mexico, or Bill Gates, or whoever you think of as being wealthy, you could not repay this debt. So we have this slave that he owes more than anybody could possibly repay. And if you remember, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like this parable. And this king orders him to be sold along with his family. And this selling of a slave was a very common solution to a problem. He was owed debt. And so he's going to recoup just a little bit of that debt, not much compared to how much the slave owed. So the king's going to sell him and his family and accept whatever payment was made, even though that payment would not compare. And that, that man would still continue to go and work for someone else, and his, his, parent, his, his family would go and work for somebody else as well. And before you, you start thinking badly about the king, it actually was unfair to the king to do this. You see, that man deserved to be punished. It was unfair. He wouldn't get back everything he was owed, but at least there was some justice and the slave would still keep his life. But the story doesn't end there. Look in verse 26. It says So the servant fell on his knees. And you can just picture this in your mind. The servant falls down and he says, Have patience with me. And then he says something stupid. Have patience with me. I'm going to pay you it all back. You're like, Idiot. You can't pay it all back. There's no way to pay it all back. He's distraught. He says something absurd. And Peter and everybody else listening would have been like, there's no way you're going to do that. Not a chance. You're nuts. You're crazy. You can't ever repay that. And so you think, is the king going to respond that way? The king's going to say, there's no way. No way you can repay that. The king doesn't respond that way. What does it say the king did? Look in verse 27. You see, no, no amount of patience that the king would have with this man could ever allow the man enough time to repay, right? He says, have patience with me, I'll repay what you owe. Well, if you can't do that for 164,000 years, probably not going to happen. So there's no amount of patience the king could have. And, and he doesn't say that. He doesn't correct the servant. He doesn't belittle the servant. He doesn't say, you're stupid, you're wrong. He doesn't, he doesn't call him names. What does it say? Look in verse 27. It says, and out of pity for him the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt if you were listening to jesus telling this parable originally you would have been shocked hang on he didn't even ask to be forgiven did you catch that the servant didn't even ask to be forgiven the debt. the servant was trying to earn trying to repay he didn't even ask for forgiveness he pleaded And the king had astounding mercy. He went far beyond what the servant was even asking. And he says, I'm going to have mercy on you and I'm going to forgive you all your debt. He forgives him all the debt and he releases him. And so Peter, as he's putting two and two together and thinking, hang on, Jesus is talking to me. What's going on here? He would have been astounded, and thinking, that's unreal. There's no way that any master, any king, nobody would ever forgive like that. Nobody would ever say, I release you from all that debt. If you were owed all that money, let's say that somebody beside you owed you, I don't know, even 20 years worth of wages, I'd want it back. Let's say they owed you 20 times 10,000. You're not going to just say, no big deal. You're not just going to say, I'll forgive you your debt. There's an extreme cost here, a cost that we can't even imagine. So the master in the story, he's like no other master, like no other king. is unbelievably merciful to a clearly wrong servant who just asks for patience. And then he, he says he'll do something he could never do. And yet the master does something he could never do for himself. The master forgives him his debt. He doesn't say pay me and then hand him a bill. He doesn't say, okay, fine. We'll see. I'm going to throw you in jail. I'm going I'm to make you pay. He doesn't do that. He forgives the man and out of pity. That's how, that's how God forgives us. He doesn't say earn it. He doesn't hand us an IOU. doesn't hand us a bill. doesn't say be good enough. doesn't say, okay, I forgive you but I'm going to do it stingily and begrudgingly and I'm not going to really treat you as if I forgive you. I'm going to release you and forgive you from all your debts. Maybe you owe a lot of money to somebody right now. Maybe you've owed money in the past before. It's a terrible feeling. Maybe you owe so much that you can't ever hope to repay. Imagine if you could never hope to repay in thousands of years. That, that weight that would always be on you. And yet the king forgives this servant. and You would expect that this servant would feel relief. Feel freedom. Feel, oh, joy! Gladness. He would be happy. He would be changed. He would be a different man. He'd live differently. He no longer has any debts to repay. He's freed from an unbearable burden. That's the response that we're meant to have when we're forgiven by God is I've been forgiven. I've been forgiven. I could never repay. I've been forgiven of debts that are far too much for me. Now not only is the penalty removed, there's no punishment. You're free What relief you would feel if you were this man. What joy you would feel. What gratitude. What freedom. And you would think, what an amazing king. What an amazing master. I just want to live for this guy. How could he be like this? Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like this, that God is like this. That God has pity on us. He releases us, He frees us from our deaths. When we just plead to Him, even when we do it foolishly and poorly, even when we don't repent correctly, God still forgives us. God initiates like he initiated with the servant, and it was his idea to forgive. It was his idea to forgive the servant, it's God's idea to forgive us. He doesn't forgive because there's any hope of earnings to be paid, because he's going to get back from us something. He forgives out of mercy, out of pity for us. God forgives completely in a huge, unimaginable debt. What mercy, what grace, what kindness. What a good, great God. What a good, great king. What a great master. And then we see, how does this servant respond? Peter and his disciples must have been wondering, okay, wow, Jesus, what is this guy going to do? Wow, he should be like jumping up and down. If I win a lottery, I'll be jumping up and down, much less being forgiven of this amazing debt. And What's he going to do? He's just won the Galilee lottery. He's just he's just in all that he could ever hope for. He was just freed. And so Jesus says, But when that same servant, looked down at verse 28, went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him and saying, Pay what you owe. What? This is how that guy responds in anger? He goes out and makes somebody else pay? He's so grateful that he gets angry at somebody. That, something's wrong here. There's a disconnect. He obviously didn't get the forgiveness. He'd been forgiven the unpayable debt, and yet he just goes out and chokes one of his fellow servants. The original hearers, they would have been outraged, were meant to be outraged as well and say, No, that's not right. Peter and the others must have felt righteous anger towards the character, but it doesn't get better, it gets worse. This fellow slave then goes and does the same thing that this mas- this slave did to his master. He falls on his knees. It's almost an exact parallel. He falls on his knees. He pleads with him and says, Have mercy on you. I will repay everything I owe. But this guy could actually repay. A hundred denarii. See, a denarii was a day's wage. It was a day's wage for an average worker. And so when he says a hundred denarii, it's about a third of a year's wages. That's not an insignificant amount of money. If somebody owed me a third of my annual salary, I would kind of want that. I would, I would, I would miss it. If somebody came to you and, and said, give me a third of your salary, and you said, okay, but I really need that back, and then they never repaid you, you would want it back. You would feel it, especially if you're a subsistence farmer or fisherman like Peter, and you lived based on what catch you got, and you, you literally went day by day living by what you worked, and living by what you caught. You would feel it if somebody took a hundred denarii for you. It would be painful. It would hurt. But it would be possible, although not quickly, it would be possible to pay it back. If somebody owed you a third of your salary, it might take them a couple of years to pay it back, but they could pay it back. So he takes a reasonable request from a, from a man who seems to be pleading for the same mercy that he got. And he says, no. And he throws him in jail. And he puts him... Not only in jail, but he puts him in jail until he can repay the debt, it says in verse 30. There was a real debt here, and it had a real cost. You know, sometimes we can hear, well, a hundred denarii wasn't really much, it was like a few dollars. No, no, it wasn't. It's, It's a real debt. There's a real cost. Now, it doesn't compare in the amount it doesn't compare in the amount. And it was impossible to forgive this man. And yet he reacted. He reacted unmercifully to his fellow servant. So Peter probably re- reacted just like we're meant to react. We would it be astounded. We would be scandalized. Deeply distressed. It says. I love the way the NASB puts it. It says in verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place. They were deeply Grieved. They were deeply grieved and were greatly distressed. They went out and reported to their master all that had taken place. This was wrong. How could he do that? How could he live like that? How could he be that way when he just got forgiven everything? What scandal. And their master, he wasn't pleased. Jesus tells us, look in verse 32. It says, the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt. Because you pleaded with me. You didn't deserve it. I forgave you all that debt because you just pleaded with me? You didn't even give me anything you had. I didn't take a dollar from you. Or a denarii. Or a shekel or whatever the monetary unit was. I didn't take anything from you. You pleaded with me and I forgave you everything. You wicked servant. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you See, the master expected the servant to learn from him. The master expected the servant to be like him. He expected that the servant, having received the unimaginable mercy of his king, would be affected and changed. And it was wicked that he was not, that it had no effect to soften his heart. And Jesus says, verse 34, And in anger the master delivers him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now the reality is, is that if you're reading the ESV, and this is one of those places, there's a footnote there for that word jailer, and, and it says, I have a footnote, one, it says, jailer, Greek, torturers. It, torturers. He was delivered over to the torturers. Not only was he in, imprisoned now, for not forgiving, but he was delivered over to the torturers, until he should repay if you're being tortured, you can't work. If you're working in prison, I had a cousin who was in prison a while ago and, and he got a job and I think they paid him 50 cents an hour in prison and, and there's no way that he could ever save up enough money or repay any debts he owed. And This man, how much more back then? He's in prison. You're not going to earn money in prison and it's worse than that. He's being tortured now. Imagine Peter and the other disciples, maybe you're thinking, good, he deserved that, that wicked servant. That's what he deserved, that's justice. That guy deserved to be thrown in jail for his life. But then Jesus says really a third shocking thing. Remember, Peter's telling this parable to to, to, to Peter. I mean, Jesus is telling this parable to Peter and to his disciples. He's not just talking to the unwashed masses. He's talking to Peter and his disciples. And he turns to Peter and says, in verse 35, look down on your Bible. He says, So also, Peter, my disciples, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. In this moment, can you imagine what Peter must have felt like? Peter came with just what he thought was a magnanimous gesture. I'm going to forgive James and John or whoever he's thinking of seven times. Jesus starts telling this parable. All of a sudden, Peter gets this thinking feeling that, uh uh-oh, he's talking about me. But maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm reading into it. Maybe he doesn't really mean me. And then at verse 35, Jesus says, No, Peter, I mean you. He must have felt like King David when he was confronted by the prophet Nathan. King David had committed adultery Bathsheba. he had seen another man's wife the wife of uriah and uriah had one wife king david had many wives he had everything everyone he could ever want he sees the guy who has one wife and he steals her from him so nathan comes and he tells him a story nathan tells him this parable and he says hey um david I want to tell you a story about what happened in your kingdom this guy in your kingdom He had all these sheep, and he had as many sheep as he could ever want, and he had everything he could ever imagine, and then he goes and he sees his neighbor who had one sheep, and one little lamb, actually, and just had one, and and this guy who had owned everything, he goes and he steals this little lamb and takes it for his own, and then he killed that guy. And David says, "How, how awful, how outrageous, bring this man to me. Who is this man? And Nathan says, you are the man. Jesus says, you are the man. You were the woman. If you do not forgive from your heart, you are this wicked servant. Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's saying to them, he's saying to me, to you, to all of us, by the way, you're the one who's been forgiven everything. Jesus is saying, You're not the servant who gets punished unrighteously and who could have repaid. You're this servant. You're the servant who has forgiven everything, an unpayable debt. And make sure you you forgive, unlike this wicked servant. You owe your king a debt so large it can never be repaid, is what he's telling Peter and his disciples, and you and me. You had a debt so large there was no hope, no way, no possibility, no way out of this debt. It was hopelessly unforgivable. It's absurd that you would even think that you can make up for it. Peter, that's you. Sally, Bob, Matt, Julie, whoever you're thinking of, you. it's you. You've been forgiven an unimaginable debt. And it's absurd to think we can even, even start to repay it. You've been set free from having to repay. You've been released from all your debts. The penalty has been removed completely. You are forgiven. What freedom, what joy we should be feeling. What, what unimaginable gratitude. This forgiveness, it's meant to change you. He's, he's looking at Peter and his disciples. This forgiveness from the Father is meant to change how you forgive others. It's meant to make a difference. And if it doesn't, look out. Because you may not really be changed. And so Peter or Sally or whoever, when you're faced with having someone who owes you a debt, Peter, the only response that's appropriate is to forgive. The main idea is that because our King has forgiven, forgiven disciples are meant to be forgiving disciples. But if you aren't affected by the king's forgiveness, if you're not affected by this story, if you're not affected, if you don't get it, if you don't forgive even real debts, what Jesus is saying is that the king takes that seriously. He doesn't take that lightly. Don't, don't be okay with unforgiveness. This is no small thing. It may be a small debt that somebody owes you in comparison, and you're, you're choking them for it, and Jesus says, This is not small. If you're unaffected by the king's forgiveness, if you don't get it and you don't forgive, the king takes that seriously. The punishment that we deserve, that you and I deserve, that all of us deserve equally, by the way. You may be feeling like, you know, no one sinned like you. Well, that's just not true. We, we've all sinned. We've all gone our own way. The seeds of every sin, even sins we haven't done yet, are there in our hearts. Nobody is better than anybody else. We've all sinned unforgivable debts. Unpayable debts. And yet, what has the king done? The king has provided a way to forgive us for our debts to be paid. You see, the the part of the parable that the disciples did not yet get is that one day, the same Jesus who was telling them the story, he would be the one who would go and pay their debts. He would be the one who would go and pay for all their sins and say, Justice, true justice does look like vengeance. True justice does look like somebody paying for what you've done. But you can't repay. And so Jesus took that payment on himself. And took all the justice of God. So then Jesus, he looks though at his disciples. And he looks at us and he says, You are the servant who has been forgiven an unpayable debt. If if you're sitting here, Jesus died so you could be forgiven unpayable debt debts and he says then peter there's no number of times when it's no longer okay to forgive there's no number of times there's no limit to the times you're supposed to forgive because god's forgiveness is unlimited There's no limit. You can forgive whatever your fellow bondservant owes because it will never, ever compare. He's not saying it's insignificant. A hundred and a third of a year's wages, there will be pain in forgiveness and personal cost. But he's saying that it just does not compare to the pain that God placed on his own son so that you could be forgiven everything. He says something that's frightening. And we can lessen these words. Think, well, I'm a Christian. I, I I don't need to be worried about that. No, Jesus is looking at who? Peter and his disciples. He says, my heavenly father is going to do the same thing to each one of you if you don't forgive your brother from the heart. Don't dismiss it. He's saying every one of you. There's four simple points. Four very quick points that we're going to take away. Four application points, really. And the first is that every one of us has an unpayable debt to the king. Jesus is talking to every one of you. He's talking to each and every one of you. He's talking to me. Each and every one of us has an unpayable debt to the king. I want you to think for a moment about every bad thing you've ever done. You're like, how is that edifying? I want you to think for a moment that every thought you had that didn't honor God, every thought you had that was full of hate, or lust, or envy, or bitterness, or coveting, or resentment, or jealousy, or pride. Every time you just thought that way. I want you to think about everything you've ever done that wasn't completely holy, wasn't completely righteous, wasn't good enough. I want you to think about everything you've done to disobey your parents, to disobey God, to rebel, to break man's laws, and to break God's laws. I want you to think about every act of unkindness, every small act of rudeness, every unkind or harsh word you've said, every half-truth you've told, and we've all done it. Every little white lie, every big lie, every time you hurt somebody else, every time you offended someone on purpose, every time you've just been unfaithful, every time you've been lazy or self-indulgent or gluttonous, Think about every time you failed to do what you should have done and just didn't do what you knew to do. Think about every time you've not loved the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Every time you've not loved your neighbor like yourself. Every one of us has an unpayable debt. Don't think that you have little to be forgiven of. Every one of us has an unimaginably huge debt. Now, the good news is, we have a king who forgives debts. Here's the second application point from the parable I want you to see. The king mercifully forgives unpayable debts. The king mercifully forgives unpayable debts. We only need to ask him for forgiveness. You see, there's this transaction that takes place, as flawed as it is with this this wicked servant, he asks forgiveness. And pleads with him. And the king, God has mercy on him and forgives him all his debts. It doesn't require effort or performance or duty. It doesn't require that we, we, we help ourselves, that we pay our way out of our debts. No, it's just we come to God and say, have mercy on me. Forgive me. And here's the good news. The kingdom of heaven is like this king who forgives unpayable debts. God is a God who stands ready to forgive unpayable debts, not to chide you, not to make fun of you, not to torment you, but He stands ready to forgive. The third thing, the third application point from this parable is that receiving forgiveness is meant to affect the way we live. Receiving forgiveness from the Father is meant to affect the way that we live. If we have new life, we'll be growing, we're going to be forgiving others if we've truly been affected by the Father's forgiveness, if you truly get, if you were thinking through all those things I was encouraging you to think about, and then you think, and those debts have all been paid, and those debts have all been forgiven, then that's going to amaze you. You're going to feel gratitude and freedom. I've been released from every one of those things you were thinking about. If you've asked God for forgiveness, if you've gone to Jesus and trusted in Him for His forgiveness, every one of those things I wanted you to recite in your mind has been forgiven, you've been released from. And the fourth application point, if we don't forgive, it is dangerous. It's dangerous. Jesus was talking to those he had called in person and he was giving them a very stern warning. And this warning, it applies just as much to us as it does to his first disciples Every one of us has been called by Jesus. We shouldn't try to soften the blow or quickly move on. What does this mean? Does it mean that we can lose our salvation somehow if we don't forgive? No. But what what he's saying is, if you're the kind of person who is not forgiving, then you're probably the kind of person who's not understood and received the Father's forgiveness. And you're in danger of the Father's wrath. And my Father's going to treat you like he did that wicked servant and so it's an appeal to make your calling sure not to earn it but to live in light of the good of the forgiveness of the father jesus is saying that we should be concerned if if we've really been affected by the mercy and grace of god we should be concerned if we see a lack of forgiveness in our lives we shouldn't take that lightly now that's not the unforgivable sin we can go to him even now maybe you're a believer who's wrestling with unforgiveness here's the thing we can run to him and say have mercy on me god forgive me and he'll release us from our debts it's hard though because he says it can't just happen on the outside we can't just go through the motions and say i forgive you and then treat them like you hate them we aren't just to give people lip service and say we forgive people but then treat them differently If we truly and actively forgive, that means that it's going to require that we treat the people we say we forgive as if we really forgive them because in our hearts we do. That's hard. That's hard. That's not an easy thing. At the core, at our hearts, Jesus says, forgive what from the heart? At the core of who you are. At the core of your desires, your emotions, the seat of your intellect, at the core of how you feel, he says we're to forgive with our deepest emotion and desires and release others from, from those debts so that how we think about them, how we feel about them and our hearts are changed towards them. That requires the grace of God. requires the mercy of God. But here's what Jesus is telling us through telling us this parable that is possible if you understand God's forgiveness. So what should we do? oh, Christian person, if you're, if you're not sure if you're a Christian, dive into understanding the debt you have against God. Dive into understanding what He's forgiven you of and this will begin to affect your heart and enable you to have mercy. Don't just go through the motions. It means that I can't think of my brother or sister as if they still owe me from the heart. That means not harboring bitterness, not harboring resentment anymore. It means not being bitter it's not okay. Don't be okay with saying I forgive you externally but being bitter and, and harboring resentment and then going around saying negative or things about people or insinuating negative things. Rolling your eyes when somebody mentions somebody's name and say, yeah, that person. You're trying to make people pay subtly. Don't be okay with that. This means having the same God kind of mercy towards somebody else that it doesn't hold debts and sins against them even when they're real debts we're sinned against in real ways 100 denarii 30 of a years wage people will sin against you significantly jesus doesn't dismiss it he could have said it was a denarii he could have said it was a shackle he could have said it was this small amount of money no he actually uses an amount of money that was it was a decent size amount of money because it requires It requires giving up something that we will feel, that will hurt, that will cause pain to us. And we can only do that if we understand how Jesus hurt for us. He took on all of our pains, all of our sorrows, all of our debts. And then God released us from them all. There's going to be a cost. You will feel it. You will experience a loss. And you can give that to God and say, God, I thank you that you repay me in this life and in many, lives, many times to come for all eternity. Doesn't though the overwhelming mercy of the king call us to this kind of forgiveness? He doesn't just forgive us and release us from our debts. Jesus says something else. He says, so, so also will my father, who later he calls our father. When he teaches his disciples to pray, he says, our father. The king doesn't just forgive us and release us from debts. That would be enough. He makes us his children and adopts us. And then he he lavishes all of his riches and grace and mercy and kindness on us. How can we not respond with mercy in light of all that he's forgiven us of and all he's done for us? Go ahead and have the band go ahead and come up and, Matt, pick a song that you think is appropriate to respond with and go ahead and stand, please. I want to ask you some questions this morning. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive from the heart? Who has God placed on your heart that you've been unforgiving towards? What debt do people owe you? And is it? how does that compare to the debt that you owed to God? I think Jesus is encouraging all of us to, to respond in repentance and say, God have mercy even just for failing to forgive and and God stands ready to forgive you we're called as Christians living in community as disciples living in community forgiven sinners are called if we understand the forgiveness of the Father forgiven sinners are called to forgive sinners let's worship